Hi, I'm Sharon Renfro of SharonRenfro.com and Our Hearts and Minds, an online life coaching service specializing in relationship issues. I hope you'll take a few minutes and explore SharonRenfro.com to acquaint yourself with our services and products. Welcome to today's podcast, the ninth in a series of free podcasts on Our Hearts and Minds, the psychology of relationships. These podcasts explore an alternative understanding of who we are and what we do in our intimate relationships. As you listen, you will discover accurate knowledge, simple tools, adaptive strategies, and effective skills that will allow you to balance the needs that we all have to be an individual self and for a relationship. You can do this without engaging in emotionally immature behaviors of conflict, distance, pretend, and cut off. All behaviors common in our relationships that ruin relationships. The topic of today's podcast is defining the self, living values, beliefs, and principles. Each podcast in this series builds on the knowledge presented in the previous podcast. In order to benefit fully from this series, I recommend listening to the podcasts in order. You're going to hear lots of new ideas. I encourage you to listen to each podcast again and again. Take notes, speculate about how these ideas apply to your life. And remember that practice with new ideas leads to mastery and sustainable long-term change to get the life that you want. The ideas in this podcast come from my book, Our Hearts and Minds, The Psychology of Relationships. Each podcast is a shortened version of a book chapter. The book offers many clinical examples, people just like you, who want to excel in their life while reaping the benefits of being in a meaningful, connected relationship. The book expands explanations and deeply explores very new ideas. You'll find space in the book for your notes and your journal to help to use these ideas to achieve your life and relationship goals. Each chapter ends with homework to encourage mastery that leads to sustainable life change. Now, if these podcasts are helpful to you and you would like to be in a relationship in which each person contributes meaningfully to the other while excelling in his or her own life, you can purchase your copy of Our Hearts and Minds, The Psychology of Relationships today from SharonRenfro.com. Now, the book is available only through my website, SharonRenfro.com. I think you'll find these free podcasts really exciting as you discover new ideas about who we are and what we do, along with new solutions to enhance individual emotional maturity and promote long-term sustainable relationships. Don't worry about remembering everything or even initially understanding what you hear. The ideas are going to be repeated again and again, and you can always replay the podcast. So let's get started on this exciting journey today on defining a self. In the previous podcast, psychology, one component of self that interacts with other components of self to produce behavior, has been defined as the state of mind of, of the individual self at any given moment in time as the individual interacts in relationships. Three states of mind provide adaptive strategies from which we can behave based on keeping the self safe. The psychological component of self functions to protect us in our relationships with others. The self is a system of interactive components whose interactions translate into behavior. The self is an internal process externalized through behavior. Psychology is one of the components of self, and the three states of mind are the emotional state of mind, the subjective state of mind, the objective state of mind. These states of mind evolved to keep life forms safe in increasingly complex environments. These states of mind evolved based on additions to the first brain system, a rudimentary basic system that operated in a simple world in which a high probability of physical danger existed. Each addition over time provided adaptive strategies that gave advantage to the organism in more complex environments. 
With each new brain system, new adaptive strategies were gifted to the organism. With each state of mind, a certain level of self-awareness is possible. As states of mind were added, self-awareness increased. The level of self-awareness determines how much information is collected from the environment, perceived, to which the self then interprets threat or safety, and then responds with the adaptive strategies of that state of mind. In other words, the use of the state of mind to assess the environment can operate based on a very simple environment or a very complex environment. We have accompanying adaptive strategies to respond effectively to both simple and very complex environments. We have the equipment to survive and thrive, but we must have awareness to be able to know how and when to use it. So far, everything described to this point in defining a self is a function of nature. The design of the mind-body system and the entire range of potential behaviors from which the self can behave all derives from nature. The human being's behavior, however, is a product of both nature and nurture, an idea explored early on in these podcasts. Nurture determines from the range of behavior made available through nature the specific behavior engaged by the individual self in each and every interaction. <clears throat> we source a specific behavior based on perceptual information and interpretation of that information. How we source the information and how we interpret that information is a learned process through nurture. Nature and nurture constantly interact to produce behavior of the self, and the component of self that plays a dominant role in that interaction is the psychological component. The self learns to use states of mind available. We're supposed to learn to access the appropriate state of mind that produces the level of self-awareness needed for each specific situation. How the self uses each state of mind depends on learning, particularly early learning. But the process also depends on beliefs learned and modified throughout our lives. As we look more closely at each of these states of mind, we find that the emotional state of mind, in order to provide adaptive strategies with which to successfully respond to situations, should be restricted to extremely simple environments. The emotional state of mind is meant to respond to these simple, extremely simple environments that pose a high risk of threat to the physical integrity of the self. Self-awareness from this state of mind is extremely simple because the environment in which this state of mind evolved was extremely simple and very dangerous. The only perceptions needed were simple cues to tell the organism only one of two things. I am safe or I am threatened. If threatened, the organism could immediately act to protect the self from possible demise. The adaptive strategies were also simple and automatic. Conflict, distance, pretend, and cutoff promoted safety. While the self had these adaptive strategies automatically available through nature, the self needed to learn how to use these strategies in the most effective manner for any specific environment. This requires experience over time as one learns while receiving care and protection through nurture. With the evolution of the subjective state of mind, the organ organism added to the emotional state of mind the sensation of feelings to help to blur the boundary between members of a group as well as to blur the, blur the boundaries of self and offspring. Feelings were the adaptive response to the extended time needed to rear young as the world became a more complex place and young were born unable to secure safety for self. Feelings were also an adaptive response to living in groups that were isolated from each other in, but in environments which still posed high levels of threat to physical integrity. Positive feelings blurred boundaries more deeply and negative feelings sharpened the focus on basic cues for threat and intensified the emotional reactions of conflict, distance, pretend, and cutoff. Feelings do not perform a new assessment of the environment for threat or safety, 
but simply function to reinforce or negate the assessment of threat or safety as assessed by the emotional state of mind. As these assessments are meant to provide adaptive strategies to keep us safe in environments in which a threat can suddenly exist, neither emotions nor feelings are meant to last for long. These sensations dissipate very quickly. So even if we had the capacity of self-awareness to see patterns from the emotional state of mind assessment, it would actually be difficult to obtain the information as these emotions and feelings disappear. In addition, the awareness of time is about the right here and now. These two processes combined results in every event seeming like the first time a person has experienced the event. We learn the cues that elicit automatic behavior, but as the self cannot collect additional data beyond feelings, the understanding of our world or even our behaviors of conflict, distance, pretend, and cutoff doesn't exist. The self moves from one moment to moment in time, and the only feedback that really matters to us is if we have returned to a sense of calm, safety, for the moment. The self continues to be surprised by unfolding events in our lives, although others may be able to immediately identify the patterns we create in our lives and make amazingly accurate predictions about what we will do or not do next. Knowledge of patterns provides predictability, which could enhance survival and success both on an individual and species level. While others may be able to see these patterns and use those patterns to help understand the individual's behavior, the level of self-awareness needed to perform such assessments for self are not available from the emotional state of mind. This is one of the reasons that it's easy to accept that we require professionals trained to see and assess who we are and what we do. When a person becomes close to us, they tend to lose this ability to objectively see and assess who we are and what we do, because it's highly likely that person will also use the emotional state of mind to perform his or her assessment. Hence, psychology offers the concept of transference and counter-transference. We can objectively see and assess our own behavior, but that process requires us to engage the objective state of mind. The objective state of mind evolved to function to protect us in complex environments where knowledge attained from massive amounts of information led to a deep understanding of who we are and what we do in order to relate to one another successfully in complex ways. Our world was no longer the unsafe place that dominated our history, and it was important to learn to make peace, keep peace, and live peacefully with each other to help us to secure the ability to live, to live peacefully and thrive, the brain further developed the ability to become even increasingly self-aware by sensing the connect connectivity of the self to everything. We could suddenly recognize ourself as an energy being whose energy is connected to the rest of the universe. This level of self-awareness is the highest level of self-awareness that we can identify at this point in time. Most human beings have never experienced this level of self-awareness, so it'll be difficult to understand that part of the concept. Most human beings accept the belief system of conventional psychology, and as a result, accept that higher levels of self-awareness are impossible to attain. Stuck with gut and feeling levels of self-awareness, we're encouraged to be very aware of those. To accomplish the above goals, we had to have a greatly increased level of self-awareness, perception, in order to arrive at an accurate and objective understanding of who we are and what we do. No longer did we need to depend on gut reactions or feelings to keep us safe. And suddenly, these same strategies that had kept us safe as we established our species on the planet, on the planet presented very real challenges to our survival. Thought was to replace gut reactions and feelings as the primary strategy to ensure our safety. Problem solving, creativity, understanding, gathering pertinent information, logic, reason, putting ourselves in the shoes of another person, consideration of the past, present, and future, 
and more functions of the objective state of mind were meant to replace conflict, distance, pretend, and cutoff in our relationships. Anyone can see the incredible benefits of functions of thought versus conflict, distance, pretend, and cutoff to promote sustainable, meaningful connections with others. The replacement of gut reactions and feelings with thought hasn't happened. We've discussed the many factors that has prevented thought from taking its rightful place as the dominant adaptive strategy to form and maintain sustainable, meaningful relationships. One of the obstacles to securing thought as our dominant adaptive strategy with which to live our daily lives is the perception that thinking is a difficult process and demands massive amounts of time and life energy. When we stop briefly to think about it, it's taken many years for us to learn the subtle cues and master the behaviors necessary to protect ourselves through the emotional state of mind and the subjective state of mind. If we were actually functioning well from this learning, the time could be considered well spent. But in fact, we're not doing well at most levels of function. Taking the time to think cannot be more than the wasted time needed to remedy the travesty we make of our lives with conflict, distance, pretend, and cutoff. Once we master the process of thought, that process can be easily and quickly employed any time we could benefit from thought, which would be most of the time. In our daily lives, we go about behaving as if our behavior, because it's patterned and rote, represents a responsible and or reasoned choice. In other words, the rudimentary self-awareness of the emotional and subjective state of mind prevent us from assessing any other options. Most of the time, our behavior represents our emotions and our feelings. Most of the time, our behavior is simply the expression of learned, limited options set in place by around age four. As a result, we can trust each other to be our best selves only when things are calm. We are good relationship partners only when things are calm and self-senses safety. Everything from an emotional and feeling perspective has to do with me. I can consider you only to the extent that I believe you are dedicated to keeping me safe. The very instant that I sense a threat and feel a negative feeling, you take a back seat to me. Nothing could be more a waste of time and life energy than to engage in conflict, distance, pretend, and cut off. We believe that we know what we are doing, that we understand who we are and what we do. Nothing could be further from the truth. I'm going to repeat that. Nothing could be more a waste of time and life energy than to engage in conflict, distance, pretend, and cut off. We believe that we know what we're doing that we understand who we are and what we do. Nothing could be further from the truth. Conflict, distance, pretend, and cutoff solves nothing, no matter how strongly our feelings tell us our jerk behavior is justified. A man who broke up with a woman by email was shocked when she showed up at his house with his things and asked for her things back. He expressed confusion about what she was doing. She explained that when people break up, they give each other's things back. He said he didn't mean to break up with her. He simply meant to make her behave the way he wanted her to. Then he asked an extremely important question that told her everything she needed to know. He asked her how she, he was supposed to get closure. Everything was about him. He never asked her how she was doing. He never apologized for putting her through agony the entire weekend when he wouldn't respond to her emails, asking what was wrong. Emotions and feelings produce this self-absorbed behavior because it's the only through thinking that a person can get information that is not just basic information to tell him or her if he or she is safe or threatened. Understand what is actually going on in the context of the relationship versus a narrow context that only considers self and a deep consideration of self and other that demonstrates respect and empathy. We have learned that the objective state of mind gives us the ability to think and that thinking is the only way to tame our natures and harness emotions and feelings 
to prevent the damage those behaviors do to ourself and to relationships. We have learned that when we engage the objective state of mind, we can actually have a relationship with another person instead of manipulating another person to be in a relationship with us to maintain some sense of safety for self. Thinking does demand life, energy, and time, and each and every experience that we have cannot be responded to by expending that type of energy. In order to manage the life energy required to be a thinking human being, it becomes important to define who we are. It is the process of coming to know who we are and what we do on an individual basis. As we define ourself, we do not have to recreate the will each morning of our life while also being a responsible human being who matures and grows. Simply being a well-defined self means living one's values, beliefs, and principles. The effect of defining a self has far-reaching consequences. One moves from the position of not knowing what to do to behaving based on well-defined principles. From using principles to direct behavior, the sense of being lost, not knowing what to do, being confused, all dissipate. In order to be responsible to those with whom we have a relationship, we must begin to be responsible for ourself. All too often we wait for someone else to take responsibility for us, and most of the time we are waiting on the other person who is no better defined than we are. Waiting on someone else to step up to the task of being responsible for us means we will be waiting a long time. And furthermore, the end result will probably not be what we need and or want. We can't expect others to sacrifice him or herself in deference to our own well-being when that person cannot take care of self either. We end up in a series of emotional reactions laden with feelings, each looking to the other to take responsibility. When we use our feelings to guide our lives, it is our feelings that we use, not the feelings of another person. The other person uses his or her feelings and not our feelings. Since feelings are based on the emotional state of mind assessment of threat or safety, everything we do is in the interest of self, not an arena that promotes relationship stability and health. Most of our behaviors center around conflict, distance, pretend, and cutoff. Our exploration of these four behaviors has revealed that these behaviors are maladaptive in complex experiences. And yet, we wonder what's going wrong. As we find ourselves muddled by why another person directs these four behaviors at us in a repetitive patterned response, we also find ourselves justified in what we do back to them. We react based on what is happening not based on who we are and where we stand and how we stand there. We don't think. Without knowing ourself, we are left to be reactive creatures. If we looked at a team sport, no team who plays its game as we live our lives wins. It would be impossible. A coach who builds a successful team selects individual players who have specific strengths to contribute to the team. But in order for that individual to contribute in a manner that works for the team, the individual member must be able to function as a team member. He or she must be able to see that the team must function as a group of individuals whose individual strengths and skill sets operate in a way that the whole is successful. For instance, Tom Brady playing alone on the field against an entire football team would get slaughtered. For Tom Brady to be successful, some members of the team must protect him. Some members must protect the receiver who is to catch the ball, if it's a pass, and the receiver must be able to catch the ball and then run with it to the goal line. The defense is extremely important too, and all of this requires hours and hours of practice until plays are mastered. No matter how many touchdown passes the offensive team makes, Unless the defense controls the score of the other team, the offensive team can still lose. It is a team that wins a game, not an individual, and the same is true in relationships. For an individual to excel in a relationship, 
he or she must be able to gather massive amounts of information, understand what the information means, and then act in the best interest of all persons concerned. At times, that means that the person is the recipient of what is best for the good of the whole, and at other times, it means that the person is not the focus of what is the best for the relationship. Each and every experience in a relationship cannot be processed at that level, which is why we need to define who we are. It would be like a football team deciding only seconds before a game who's going to play which position. For a team to play well together, some decisions must be made way ahead of time, and then the team must practice exactly how they will play the game over and over and over again. We as individuals who make up a relationship must determine ahead of time who we are and then use that definition over and over and over again in order to be that person in real time in a relationship. We have preconceived notions about who we are based on our emotional assessments and feelings through very limited self-awareness. We have learned this at an early age. But if we are to be a well-defined self, we must begin to use the objective state of mind as those functions become available to us. Let's go back to the example of learning math. We can't leap from learning to recognize numbers to doing advanced algebra. We must learn skills in between those two mathematical functions. The same is true for defining a self. When more complex brain functions become available to us, we must use those. The effort to define a self requires that we use the objective state of mind to learn more complex ways of relating, which forms part of who we are and what we do. At whatever point we decide, if we ever do, to define a self, the process begins with the first step of thinking, research. We begin by identifying our values. A value is what is important to us. Values create worth in our lives. Values enhance our life in some way. Each state of mind of the psychological component of self produces a level of self-awareness, which is used to identify values. As one would expect, as the states of mind provide self-awareness meant to respond to increasingly complex circumstances, the emotional state of mind produces the most minimal self-awareness. With huge limitations on the ability to perceive the world, values identified through this state of mind focus on the safety of the self. The use of the subjective state of mind broadens the value identified through the emotional state of mind to include others for whom the individual experiences positive feelings. One must remember, however, that feelings can change rapidly. If a feeling changes from positive to negative about a specific person, that person who was originally included may no longer be included in the values related to safety. A swing back to the original inclusion of this person can occur if a feeling becomes positive again. The more dominantly driven a person is by emotions, the more likely feelings will swing wildly back and forth. The value of consideration of the person's feelings may within seconds result in a total reversal of any concern whatsoever for the person's feelings. The values of a person who dominantly uses the emotional and subjective states of mind to guide their life rest solely in the perception and interpretation of safety and threat. Ask any woman in a physically abusive relationship about how long it takes to transition from sensing being loved to a life-threatening situation, and you'll have some idea about how solid values identified by these states of mind are. Emotions and feelings exist only in the here and now and can't be maintained for very long. People who dominantly use the emotional and subjective states of mind for self-regulation live on the blade of a knife. One might think that this produces wildly unpredictable behavior, but that's actually not the case. All one needs in order to accurately predict a subjectively driven emotional reaction 
are the basic cues that the person uses in order to determine if he or she is threatened or safe. The level of self-awareness is so low. It doesn't take long to objectively observe his or her emotional reactions, to predict with a high level of reliability his or her behavior. Only four behaviors can be expressed when the person experiences threat, so that limits the possibility of an unpredictable reaction considerably. As each person establishes a dominant pattern in how he or she uses these four behaviors, which behaviors used first, second, third, and fourth, behavioral patterns harden over time like concrete. What appears to be chaotic, in fact, isn't. The person is highly predictable, but if a low level of self-awareness is used by the relationship partner, he or she will be unlikely to see this pattern. Every moment is new, and each chaotic episode cannot be seen as a repetitive pattern. Stated values can shift as quickly as the emotion and feelings of this person. Values are reliable only for very specific time frames of very short duration given very simple cues. Emotions and feelings used to make, li make life decisions provide a slippery slope on which to stand. Sometimes at the beach we find a sandcastle. It is intricate and massive. Hours have been spent constructing the castle. Within seconds, a wave comes to shore and the entire structure is destroyed. When we rely on emotions and feelings, even if those emotions and feelings are incredibly intense and positive, the basis of the relationship is built on emotions and feelings. Life events that are negotiated with emotions and feelings damage the basics of a relationship and sometimes batter the relationship so badly that the relationship cannot withstand the pressure. Values identified through the objective state of mind are the results of a higher level of self-awareness. This means that the person will gather information to seriously consider and weigh a value before it's identified as a value. It also means that the person will then watch over time to monitor the identified value to ascertain its reliability in multiple circumstances and hone the value to represent reality. The identification of the value is not a judgmental process in which one rates oneself as better for holding certain values over others. The identification of the value is part of a disciplined effort to know who self is. A value may be redefined over time given evidence that either the value was defined incorrectly from the start or that self has changed based on objective data. The value provides information that leads to a deeper understanding of who self is and why self does what self does. And then the person who operates from the objective state of mind will ask the question, how does the value I hold impact others? Not just those who are important to me, but to all others over time. But that's not how it usually works. When we meet potential relationship partners and are trying to suss out whether or not the person is right for us, a discussion of values, what's important, usually ensues, but only in a simple way. Do you smoke? Are you religious? Do you want children? The discussion may be direct or indirect. Whether or not this process can actually be of benefit to help individuals know whether or not the relationship can be compatible totally depends on how self-aware each individual is. The greater a person's self-awareness is, the more substance the discussion will have. The alternative is to risk one's heart and wait to see who the person really is over time. A person can't really know if their heart is truly safe with the other person until time has passed and one has been able to observe. In that time period, commitments may be made. Entanglements with the other person occurred and some decisions made that involve other people in the relationship process. When we actually discover what the real values of the person is, we may be deeply invested in the relationship. When values of two people involved in a relationship differ, 
The ensuing negotiations to make the relationship work initiate the experience of a threat. Instead of compatibility, we're faced with compromise. Some compromises are not important enough to disrupt the relationship, but the compromise of core, well-defined values represents a threat to the individual who uses emotions and feelings to guide them in relationship decisions. If this is the case, people should prepare to have to cope with the fallout of repeated uses of conflict, distance, pretend, and cutoff that solve the problem of, of incompatibility. As we think about what we've learned about conflict, distance, pretend, and cutoff, we can easily see that none of these behaviors could ever adequately address the real dilemma. All these behaviors could accomplish is a deflection of the anxiety back onto the other person for a limited amount of time while the anxiety of the unresolved issues build. It's not that people set out to screw each other over. It is that people simply are not very aware of what values they actually hold and that values defined through the emotional and subjective states of mind are far too inadequate and rudimentary to be of benefit to a long-term committed meaningful relationship. People are unaware that their behavior is determined by the balance in their need to be an individual self and their need for a relationship. When we behave, our actual value is reflected in our behavior. When words and behavior differ, reliance on what a person does is a far more accurate reflection of the value that person holds than is spoken. An example should help to demonstrate the point. A couple was being seen by a life coach, and that coach asked each person to make a list of his or her values. The woman listed one of her values being that each person in a family have an equal say in decision making. That sounds like a pretty positive value to have. The next week, the couple came for their coaching session, and they reported that they had had a huge argument. The family had a decision to make that was an important decision for the family. The husband spoke up to uh, express his opinion and what he wanted. His wife dismissed his opinion out of hand. He became very angry with her, as her behavior was in opposition to what she said was one of her values, a very important value to her. She went ahead and unilaterally made the decision. He interpreted her behavior as a threat to him. He had no say-so in what was happening, and on top of that, he sensed even more threat as he had trusted her to include him based on what she said said in her last session. As the life coach asked her what had happened that she didn't adhere to her value, she reported that in the experience, she had learned that she valued more being in control than everyone having a say. She considered herself more capable of making an informed decision, and as a result of the threat she sensed in allowing her relationship partner equal say, she realized that she did not hold everyone having an equal say as one of her values when control was more important. The value of being in control is not usually seen as a positive trait. Others sense threat to self as their own opinion or point of view is dismissed and overridden. The experience provided an opportunity for the woman to further explore her own values and to distinguish between a real value and a reaction to a perceived emotional threat that resulted in one of the four behaviors overshadowing what she had declared to be her value. As we define our values and then have life experiences, we may need to explore more, more closely whether or not we actually hold the value we say we do. Once a person has been able to determine what happened that resulted in the value being set aside, it's possible that the person may, have, may be able to behave in such a way that the value is actually represented in his or her behavior. But we do not behave in isolation, and an emotional episode may be the outcome, which will then have to be addressed and understood using the process of thinking. These seem like incidents that cannot be overcome by the relationship, but if both persons are committed to the process of defining a self, 
both persons will experience the same contradictions until such time as the values have been very firmly defined. Gathering information such as, when did I first experience that control resulted in my sensing safety? How does my need for control impact others to whom I relate? Is this impact what I want for my relationship partner? How could I manage to set aside my need for control to hear my relationship partner? Well, those are just a few questions that could be posed to help the person understand the emotional influence in the experience. Then one goes back to the drawing board for further exploration. This is not a one-day process, but then neither is life. The second step in defining a self engages the second step of thinking, reason. Reason helps us to understand through applying logic based on the facts collected in the first step of thinking. The second step of defining a self involves defining our beliefs. Beliefs explain our experience to us, what happened to us as a result of our value. We form expectations for our world through our beliefs about what happened to us if we have a specific value. XYZ, if our value, and if we hold this value. This is what we can expect as an outcome in our experiences. When we know what to expect and how to explain, we understand. A belief provides us with explanations about what happens in our world. Beliefs take away uncertainty. A belief tells us what we expect to happen as a result of having a specific value. Beliefs make our world predictable from our point of view. Most of our beliefs are set in place at a young age, and for most of us, for most of the time, these beliefs go unquestioned throughout adulthood. Any belief that is set in place early in life has not had the benefit of the objective state of mind processing. The belief would be based on emotions and feelings from a very limited self-awareness. In other words, the beliefs would simply be borrowed from important persons who care for and protect us. It's part of the natural process of entanglement in the relationships with our parents. The process of maturation pushes us toward new values and beliefs, oftentimes simply the opposite of what our parents hold or a simplistic adoption of a peer group's values and beliefs in order to fit in to balance the need for a relationship with the need to be an independent self. But one thing is certain. If the brain has to operate in a state of not knowing, which exists if one is trying to define oneself, high levels of anxiety push a person toward taking on a belief system simply to quell the anxiety. This means that a person accepts beliefs without benefit of facts. The process involved in the identification of values and then understanding what makes those values important by using only the emotional and subjective states of mind. Fact-finding is impossible from an emotional and subjective frame of reference. Without benefit of independent fact-finding, impaired with extreme and heightened anxiety, we attach to a belief system that somehow resonates for us, usually because it's the belief system of someone else who helps us to balance the need for a relationship while balancing the need to be an independent self. The belief offers an explanation that doesn't differ to the extent that we are left being uncertain. We know without the angst of figuring it out for ourselves. When I first entered the training program in Bowen Family Systems Theory at Georgetown University with Dr. Murray Bowen, I complained that I lived too far away from anyone with whom I could meet to discuss what we were learning. I needed that relationship system to help me to deal with the huge amount of anxiety caused by questioning every belief system I held about psychotherapy. What I discovered was that being on my own to grapple with these serious issues about my beliefs about psychology actually meant that my thoughts were my own, and they weren't borrowed, and they weren't part of a group process. Eventually, I was pleased that I was forced into this position. 
I've learned the value of figuring things out on your own as your beliefs end up being something that you can stand by. No one in my home area had studied with Dr. Bowen. I had no one to use as a crutch or an instructor. As I have worked my own way through defining what I believe about Bowen Family Systems Theory, my beliefs have changed over time as my self-awareness has increased. These podcasts have been one of the most helpful processes of my life. These ideas have been reflected upon in extreme isolation with almost no contact with another professional person. And while I've not engaged in professional work for over two years, I have been pushed to ask myself what I really believe and to take the risk to say what that is. I have pulled layer after layer of wool from my eyes. I've had the luxury of time to figure things out about relationship without any time pressure letting some relationship situations fall where they may, while deeply reflecting on my beliefs about what is happening. Void of the knee-jerk emotional reactions that usually operate in real-time relationship interactions, I've had the rare opportunity to figure it out. It's been like taking a time out from life. My understanding has deepened dramatically. I have been able to see and to understand things Dr. Bowen and I discussed years ago, in ways that have opened up what I've been able to see. I have come to the point where I can accept my place that if my beliefs about Bowen Family Systems Theory differ from others, that it doesn't mean that I'm wrong. I no longer care if I'm accepted by the group. That is no longer a value I hold. As my values have shifted, so have my beliefs. I've spent days paralyzed by not knowing and nights waking repeatedly wondering. I'm not describing an uncomfortable process, but an exciting process of moving from not knowing to knowing to becoming more and more solid to form new beliefs. As my self-awareness increased, my tolerance of not knowing also increased. The increased tolerance of not knowing allowed me to gather even more information with which I compared and contrasted the accumulated years of information paired with observations of people who were pretty stuck in highly emotional lives. The extremes always help us to be able to see. A comment I have made about soap operas. Exaggerations make it hard to miss facts of relationship process. Let's take the example of the woman who valued everyone having an equal say in decision making. Her belief was that everyone would sense safety in knowing that their point of view mattered. They would sense being part of a family, which would result in a sense of support and belonging. The be belief would probably be an accurate one, but if one acts contrary to the stated, va stated value, then the belief, the expectation of what will happen when the value is upheld, fails us. Her husband certainly did not experience their marriage as one in which he was valued or supported. We must then come up with some other explanation for what has happened, and the other person cannot trust what we say. Beliefs reflect the level of self-awareness of an individual. When a person operates mostly from the emotional state of mind and the subjective state of mind, beliefs are more a product of what promotes a sense of calm and positive feelings for that person. Emotionally and subjectively held beliefs have more to do with what balance the need to be an individual self and the need for a relationship has been achieved. Beliefs explain our world to us. For each value we identify, we'll be able to identify a cor corresponding belief. Let's say that a family has taught its children to believe that blood is thicker than water. Certain expectations develop as a result of this belief. When something then happens in the family that doesn't support the belief, a problem exists in the relationship field. Most likely, as we have not taken time to define who we really are, an emotional reaction will occur between people, fueled by the feelings that accompany the sense of threat we interpret. It's important to remember that the emotional assessment considers only the sense of threat or safety to the individual 
and does not consider the experience of the other person. When we find that our behavior does not align with our stated values and therefore our beliefs do not hold water, we must once again go back to the drawing board. Until we have aligned our values and then our beliefs, we live in an emotional world in which we can't rely on ourselves, and subse subsequently we can't depend on our relationships to be any more than a series of emotional reactions. Now the next step in defining a self is to identify our principles, the guidelines for our behaviors based on our values and our beliefs. We could think of principles as the rules by which we live. Principles which define a self flow from the values and beliefs we define. For each value we identify, we then identify a belief about that value and then identify a principle based on that value and belief. These principles act as a code of conduct, a moral compass, that represents our ethics. These principles allow us to monitor ourselves, to increase our self-awareness of our world and how we perceive and interpret it, based on more than vague impressions of are we threatened or are we safe. We can instantly answer the question, how dependable and how reliable we are, if we can point to our values, our beliefs, and our principles. If we don't follow our guidelines for our behavior, we are not acting from self. A good indication that we are using emotions and feelings to guide our behavior instead of disciplined thought. Once we have defined our principles based on our values and our beliefs, we reduce the time it would take us to think about each and every event that happens in our life. Defining a self this way prevents us from having to spend unreasonable amounts of time trying to figure out what to do instead of automatically engage in emotional reactions reinforced by subjective assessments. Principles can only be defined by using the objective state of mind. The definition of principles involves the third step of thought, reflection. Our values focus on the self as distinct and separate from others. The definition of our values focuses solely on what's important to me. Defining a belief widens the scope from the exclusive focus on self to inclusion of others about what to expect and from and how to explain our world based on the value we've identified. Then we define the principle. How am I going to behave in relation to me and you? By the time we define our principles, our awareness of self has deepened dramatically. We can easily and clearly see who we are. With our principles, we can know why we do what we do. Principles expand our view as we define those from the immediate moment into the future. We can predict our behavior given how our values and beliefs are represented by an event or a circumstance in our life. We don't react, we act. This is who I am, this is what I believe, and this is why I behave the way I do. If we have clearly identified our values and the corresponding beliefs, then we will be able to act from our principles. We can, with well-defined principles, declare, this is what I will do, this is what I will not do. When the self can depend on itself to have seriously considered what is important and why it is important with a deep understanding through reasoned and logical explanation, the constant assessment of am I safe or am I threatened can be gently set aside as too simplistic of an assessment for the situation. We're not captured by the anxiety of not knowing because we've spent a great deal of time figuring out what we know and how we understand who we are and what we do. We sense a high degree of safety knowing what we will do and what we will not do. We've spent a great deal of time establishing protective parameters for ourself in relation to others. Anxiety doesn't determine our behavior. Who we are determines our behavior, and we know who that is. And when we behave with our relationship partners based on deep thought and reflection, our relationship partner does not get bombarded with conflict, distance, pretend, and cutoff as solutions 
to the relationship issues that arise. Instead, our relationship partner can anticipate that his or her partner will seriously consider any issue that arises and how that issue impacts self and others. Determine what values are involved and how the belief about that value helps to deepen understanding and depends on his or her partner to act respectfully, kindly, with great caring, and most importantly, in a way that can be understood by the relationship partner. The decisions were based on a high degree of self-awareness. Communication is clear, logical, well-reasoned, and considers the impact of behavior. In kind, the relationship partner is not compelled to emotionally retaliate, so the entire relationship field is calmer and safer. We don't create situations in which we'll start World War III over the most basic issues. We can describe the principled behavior in great detail. When we then need to decide about a situation in our lives, we should be able to identify the value we hold, know what we expect as an outcome of that value through our belief, and voila, we know exactly what to do. We've spent the time up front to come to know who we are and what we do and why we do it. So when confronted with situations, we can act fairly immediately without getting bogged down in trying to figure everything out. We move from a stance of not knowing to a position of knowing clearly. We can let go of all of the regrets we experience when we use conflict, distance, pretend, and cut off with others who are important to us. We don't have to sort through the fallout of using instinctually feeling-based, minimal perceptions and interpretation that make no sense and belittle ourself and the others we care about. We don't have to behave as self, selfless or selfish individuals, which constantly imbalance our need to be an individual self and our need to be in a relationship. When we operate from the emotional and subjective states of mind, the distortions to reality harm us and our relationship partners. A man who engages in boastful behavior attempts to cover up his inadequate sense of self. His attempts to cover up do not help him to address the sense of self in terms of a meaningful remedy, but deepen his need to cover up, to not be who he is, which, in fact, generates a whole new level of threat to self. To address the problems created by boasting, he must boast more, and yet he can't see the dilemma he creates for himself through his emotional solution to a basic human dilemma. His minimal collection of facts, his constant monitoring of every situation for threat, all distort his reality and his experiences. He can't see himself as others see him, and yet, at some level, as he receives the emotional reactions of conflict, distance, pretend, and cutoff directed at him as emotional reactions from those he has directed conflict, distance, pretend, and cut off at, he knows something is very amiss. From his distorted reality, he reacts to what happens in his life using conflict, distance, pretend, and cut off. He eradicates any evidence that could question his very, very carefully constructed, limited world built on his own perceptions and interpretations that calls anything that might refute or question the fragile world he has built from spit and paste. The process is akin to wearing blinders, with the intended use the same as for horses that pull carriages. We don't get spooked, given that we are easily distracted by too much information when we filter as much as is possible, and that fear grabs hold of us easily. He looks like a strong man, but he is anything but. The entire problem lies in his use of the emotional state of mind and the subjective state of mind to assess his world. How would we even know if we are entrenched in a worldview stripped of the possibility of feedback to help us expand our self-awareness instead of cowering in the limited possibilities in which we live? Sometimes it's when we compare and contrast our behaviors that we see that we are not well-defined. We are predictable only to the extent that we use our emotions and feelings 
as the guidelines for our behaviors. This creates countless experienced experiences excuse me, soaked through in the anxiety of the individual that is the outcome of the perception of threat and the multitude of relationship problems that are the result of the behaviors of conflict, distance, pretend, and cut off. When we act from well-defined principles, we are predictable, dependable, and reliable, both to ourself and to others. In this environment, we are safe to fully experience our lives and allow others close to us because we know, beyond any shadow of a doubt, that we can take care of ourselves in most experiences. When we know this, because we have given great thought to where we stand, and we can stand there in the knowledge that we are safe, we don't need to use our imagination to scare ourselves. We are fully grounded in reality. Now, that completes the podcast for today, and I hope you've heard some really interesting and new ideas. The next podcast and the final podcast is going to be on... The Movement of Anxiety in Relationships, Triangles. Hey, thanks for listening today, and I hope it really has been helpful to you. And until next time.